Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to 3, a part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy, and this is the 2024 Australian Open preview. Novak Djokovic is the number one seed, the 10-time champion, Rafael Nadal, who made his comeback in Brisbane, which we discussed on our last show, um, has since pulled out and traveled back home. So we'll talk about both. First, Nadal, and then we'll get to Djokovic. We'll look at the people in his draw. We'll talk about the wrist, and we'll talk about uh, his quest to win another in Melbourne. Um, Amy, what was your level of surprise at uh, Nadal pulling out of this Australian Open? Not surprised because every point just in that last match seemed um, there was a look on his face like something was bothering him and it seemed fragile. And I can't really put my finger on why, but the air just seemed fragile. I'm relieved to know that it's just a micro tear and a muscle not in the area of, but not necessarily related to the procedure that he had. So that's a good thing. He assures us that it's good news. So that's a good thing. And I guess, you know, you'd rather have him healthy for clay season than, than try to soldier through the Australian Open. When I was watching the the Thompson match, I kind of had not like I agreed with you that something was bothering him and it was clear that there was like a little bit of uh, concern, especially because of the area, the general area. But through the end of that match, he was still running for every ball and obviously he didn't retire. Um, and, and to me, he was still competing and trying to come back and, and win the match. So I figured that it wasn't that bad an injury. And it's almost like that's true. It wasn't that bad an injury. And yet it still isn't a good idea to play the Australian Open. And I think like understanding that those two things can be true at the same time is I think understanding Nadal's situation, right, Joel? Yeah, and this is what makes the whole, the joy of the Australian for us as fans to start off the year watching it and seeing a high stakes big event kick off the year is exciting, but for the physically challenged player, ain't so good always, is it? I mean, because it's like if you have any any physical malady that's afflicting you to have to go right into playing three out of five sets on a hard court and hot weather, that's that's a bit much. I mean, uh, reminds me of when I wrote the article, and I think, Amy, we've talked about this too. What if we can rejigger the calendar, start the year in Florida, work your way yeah. <laughs> you know, There are all these reasons why you can't, but it's just, uh, it's just a little unfortunate. Obviously, he's facing, that's a pretty tall mountain of having to then compete in Australia. And so he wants to be cautious. He wants to, obviously, he, look, Nadal is pointing himself to do well at Roland Garros. When you come back from injury in other sports, Joel, I think, you know, you, you've said this a lot um, and it stuck with me, with me. When you come back from injury in other sports, you go on a minutes limit. 
you, you know, in basketball, you pay, you play 15 and then you play 35 and, and then you're full go. And in football, you might be on a snap count. And in baseball, you're on an innings count. We see this across all sports here. It's just not an option in tennis. You look at best of five, you look at Nadal potentially having to stop training and rest and recover for, you know, three, four days after Brisbane. And now, now you're looking at a, a very harsh restart on hard court when the primary goal for this season is to stay healthy. Like at the end of the year, when we talk about Rafa's season, I'm almost 100% sure that if he's able to play a lot of matches, we're going to be like, that was really good. That was what he wanted. That was what everybody wanted. He probably won a good amount. The bad part is maybe his body really can't do this. And the alternate universe where I see us at the end of the year being like, ah, that didn't really work is if he gets injured. So with that in mind, all the decision-making is kind of pointed towards a North star of how do I stay healthy? How do I stay healthy? And that's how he gets to this kind of decision, which I think is a, an exercise of extreme caution. It's just a hard way to play. You know what I mean? Like, you want to just go out there and not be thinking about that stuff and just play. And what's really going to be fascinating is what he decides to do with his clay season schedule. I mean, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. He's got this big exhibition in Las Vegas that he signed up for right before Indian Wells. Then what does he do about the North American hard court season? And then what does he do about clay season? And you think, well, gosh, I'd love to see him play Monte Carlo one more time and Barcelona, of course, and Madrid and all that. Um, but the decision-making will be fascinating to watch unfold. Wow, this is like a deja vu. We had this, this conversation. I mean, we started in our show in 2020, and so that was the year of Roland Garros in the fall. And Rafa, there's only one tournament leading up to it. He plays it in Rome. And, and then we've looked at his, his itinerary, his usual pre-Roland Garros itinerary, which is pretty arduous of lots of tournaments. But does he scale it back? And what does he do? Yeah. And then, and then, um, yeah. And where does the sunshine double fit into that? I mean, I have a hard time thinking of play both those. So for me, the question he needs to answer is, am I trying to have a regular tennis season or am I trying to have a clay season? Um, well, I, I, I think he, he he has committed to this big Netflix exhibition in Las Vegas. So I would think he would want to honor that. Um, so then, you know, he could conceivably then just do that and then leave, you know, and, and go could. get ready for, for clay. Um, he he knows how to do the clay season though he's been hurt before and has figured it all out and you know maybe he only plays one and he still wins Roland Garros or maybe he plays all of them you know so he'll figure out how to manage it he's he's a very in the moment guy I think he's going to um have a Nadal gear and this whole injury management thing has been the story of his whole career, even in years where he ended up playing 60 matches in the course of the year, because it's part of it's part of what comes along with how Nadal's game in life. And I he's such the 
arguably the greatest competitor in the history of the sport and all these other things. But this has been kind of his path. You know, in, in American baseball, you have these players who play uh, 162 games and, and don't miss a start. That's not been his deal. And it's still an it's still an unbelievable resume. So I think he's all I think he's used to approaching it that way because you know because there's this stuff I mean so many times right look how many slams he's had to withdraw from and different injuries so yep. it'll be his year and I think I think we're looking at uh, Roland Garros and then there's the whole Paris Olympics which I'm quite sure what that means for him now truly in his private heart of hearts not just I mean what he would publicly say about it. I'm I'm sure he cares for it very much, but quite how it fits in. We'll see. I mean, again, if if Clay is if it's blinders, Roland Garros, if that's the goal, if if that's everything, then you play the Golden Swing, you play the Vegas exhibition, you go home and you get ready for Clay. If you want to have a normal season, then then you look at Indian Wells and and maybe Miami. So I mean, wait, are you saying he's going to play? You think he might play South America? If if the goal is clay, then the goal is clay, and then he would play South America, right? It, no, I don't buy that at all. No? I don't think that at all. I don't think the first of all, I don't think the goal. I don't think they. Th I don't think the player camp thinks that the goal is clay. I think they think the the mission, the goal is health. The outcomes are the outcomes. The European clay is plenty enough. Thank you. Well, for what it's <laughs> worth, yeah, but you don't want to not play. He's not just going to sit around not play until April. Well, then he could go, then he could make a go of something in the hard court time. For what it's worth, I agree with you. I think he's going to try to play big events, generally speaking. Um, and I think that will include an attempt at Indian Wells, if I were to guess. Let's go to Novak Djokovic. We'll have news on this soon. Um, I, I am curious to see what he does February, because I don't think it's a given that he's just not going to play in February. Um, we'll see. Djokovic. Top seed. Remember last year, just one year ago, Novak was the five seed. Nadal was the one seed. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of crazy because that feels like it wouldn't be it wouldn't be last year. It would be some time in the distant past. But no, that was recent. Uh Djokovic's quarter. He's got Titi Pass as his highest seed opposite him. There is Taylor Fritz. There is Ben Shelton. There is Adrian Manorino. There is um Francisco Serendolo, Lorenzo Massetti, uh, Tomas Martin, Echeverry. Those are all the seeds. Joel, what are your thoughts just looking at uh, Djokovic's quarter? Is it is it a favorable one? Is he happy to see what the draw looks like? I'm look. I'm sure he's fine with it. I'm sure he figures he you know it's up to them, not him. And yep. I think more that this this wrist injury also see as a as a curiosity. It would be interesting if he played a uh, Murray, who they played I think in four finals versus each other there but Andy Murray's in a different stage of himself physically I think I think the big thing for Novak here is this wrist and his thing is like okay, you guys you guys go go play each other I'll I'll see you when I see you um Ben Shelton I'm intrigued by though a bench uh, that, that I'm intrigued because they, they they have a they have a little bit of history they had their right thank you that's right <laughs> let me let me play host I gonna here. phone that one in <laughs> yeah sorry sorry um I I I sometimes do things for YouTube I forget we're <laughs> on audio Amy just hung up the phone uh <laughs> let me let me play host here we either got to talk about the wrist or the draw we're gonna do both topics 
Oh, which but one Joel, do you want to talk about well, first? Joel, it sounds like you would argue that wrist should come first, that that is the first topic. The wrist, if I'm looking at the world through the Novak lens, I think the wrist is more significant than the draw. Both are worthy of discussion, but wrist one, draw two. Okay, then let's do it. Uh, here is Djokovic's media day press conference comment on the wrist. Um, he said, my wrist is good. I had time from the last match against Dimonor to my first match here to recover. I've been training well, practice sessions pain-free so far. It's all good. It's all looking good. Um, I don't have a picture clear, perfect memory of last year, but I'm pretty sure the comments on the hamstring were a lot more touch and go. Like, I don't know, this is bad. I have to manage this. So just comparing it to last year, it seems like, it seems like this is much more minor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It would seem. Yeah, yeah, and um, I know some fans were concerned by some images that emerged with him practicing in a sleeve or with his wrist wrapped. I think that's just uh, precautionary. It, like, if it were hurting, we'd see it. If it weren't bothering him at all, we'd see it. You know what I mean? So you can't read anything into that. So, yeah, you know what I always say, listen to the player. And if he says it's fine, it's fine. It's also interesting, again, with the timing of this tournament, it's so, you know, it's such a, a microscopic, a micro lens that we all look at this because it's a, a slam. And so the good news is these players, again, they arrive fresh. They've had their off, uh, their little off season and training block. And so they're in a good place to play well, but golly, he's just, they just wonder because they're going to be playing long matches, you know, three out of five sets. That's going to be interesting. But as far as far, I'm, I'm glad, I bet, Novak is glad that Sinner is a potential semi, not a round of 16 or a quarter. Let's see where the wrist is by then, if we get there, depending on how that goes. Because, you know, the other guys in Novak's um, quadrant prior to the semis, it's amazing to think that he played Tsitsipas in the finals last year. Based on how Stefano's last 12 months ago, that seems like it took place about three years ago. Yeah, I had to look that up. (laughs) And I'm like, wait, that was a year ago? Yeah, right. So are we talking about the draw now, Gil? Let me just say okay. first, Amy, that, that I agree with you. For anybody looking at the practice footage and trying to read into Djokovic's forehand, there's two things that I always try to push back against in like online culture with tennis. Don't watch practice and think you're learning anything. Now, you might learn something about training, how to train, how to practice, but don't think that you know what's going to happen in the matches because you saw practice. And don't think you know what's going to happen in the matches because of what happens at the Kuyang exhibition. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. The exhibitions and the practices are not predictive. In, in my experience of being really close to this stuff all the time, and you know, in terms of how matches happen and what's happening in these news cycles, those things are not aligned. Would you dare say that the Kuyong exhibition is even less revealing than the practice? 
I, I think they're about equal because I equal. think I think in the mindset of these players, especially now that a lot of these practice sessions have big crowds, uh, such as when they go to a place like Indian Wells and they play practice sets, I think it's essentially the same mindset, practice, exhibition. I would love to, you know, Joel, how the neurologists like hook up the, the things to the brain. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to know uh, if the stress levels are how the stress levels compare practice versus exhibition. It depends on whom I suspect for Novak less. So exhibition practice, you know, he's probably had more people watch some practices than some other players for some other players. It depends how, where they're at with the exhibition. That's a great, that's a great study. Yeah. Um, okay. So we can wrap up the wrist thing. Yeah. We're going to learn. I mean, first round is uh 18 year old Croatian qualifier, Dino Prismic. So let's just start there. Uh, this is the Roland Garros boys singles champion of last year. He won a challenger last year in Banja Luka, which is nothing to, to sneeze at for a teenager. It's uh, for an 18 year old, very hard to win a challenger. Uh, he has played tour level. His record is three and six. This is his slam debut. <laughs> so, I mean, look, I, I think this is one of those things reminds me of like when Djokovic played Jack Draper in the first round at Wimbledon a couple of years ago, Alcaraz played Medvedev first round Wimbledon a couple of years ago. And it was kind of a, who's this Alcaraz situation. And then Alcaraz got smoked. Like this is just so early for Dino Prismic in the process that it almost doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter how great he is as a prospect or what he might be in a couple of years right now, this is probably too early for him to give Djokovic a great match. Welcome to the show. I mean, he's just gonna, he, but it's a neat occasion for him. I, I mean, I think even I think Jack Draper at least had a little experience coming into that. Didn't he? A little more experience. This Maybe is a little Jack Draper still in the juniors when they played. I mean, this, this uh, is not the, the junior still, but this is, you know, a recent junior champ. He's having a, that's, that's a neat, it's a neat, what an opportunity. And he'll look back in his career. I'll never forget my first slam I ever played. I played Novak Djokovic the 10 times. Rod Laver. On Rod Laver on the opening day. So what happens? So we see, you know, some reasonable exchanges. And then there's be, there'll be there'll be two or three points in the first 30 minutes where he'll he'll bring it to Novak. And he'll win those points gloriously. And he'll get a big crowd and a hold serve for two all. Yeah. And he'll see this. Whoa, this is what I got to do to be here. I mean, it's, it's fun to, it'll be fun to watch for that interest value to see what kind of comportment and tactics he has too. We've seen these kinds of things a million times, you know, it's like the feel good situation. I, I, could be remembering this wrong. You guys have such a better memory for specific matches than I do. But I think Holger played Novak yes. when yeah. Holger was just coming up. It might have been at the U.S. Open 21. in the early rounds. Yeah. yeah. So the only thing is, like, just be careful not to give up a set. Or even a tie break is not ideal because energy management is so crucial. It, it's crucial for anyone, but at his age and the way he likes to operate, he wants to sail through the early rounds as efficiently as possible. 
Yeah, I think Holder. Runa took a set. Runa's won he that did. open, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he had, I, I he was courtside. Yeah, you were courtside, okay. I was two feet away from the court for that match. And then now, now I don't get to be that close. They've changed some things around. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Novak was very, very tight, extremely tight. And Runa, uh, you know, he, he has this fearless mentality and approach that, that we'd see the next year um, very, very often. But, you know, he, he wasn't scared, but he was so hyped up. Yeah, Amy, you, I'm sure, you know, this is what you're recalling. He cramped. And then yes. the match is over. Yes. So, so we've um, seen that before. <laughs> we have. I, I I will say this. I I watched some Dino Prismich YouTube highlights. I did some studying. My impression is that he is unbelievably athletic for an 18 year old, and has tremendous fitness and is very consistent. Um, I don't think he has big boy weapons um, at at this level yet. Again, this is from watching highlights. I could be wrong. I'll learn much more about him when I watch every point in a match. Um, you just learn more from that than highlights. But, um, you know, I, I thought very good movement, great endurance, likes to keep the ball in the court and make you work very hard. But I don't think the serve is that big. I don't think the forehand is that big, although I think it's his weapon of choice. And then the backhand appears to just be kind of a shield, just – it's a, it's a little stiff. He just plays it, you know, plays it cross court, usually pretty safe. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. I like that about the, uh, the energy management. So I also think just to toss it out, the opening rounds of the 2021 U.S. Open, Novak having won three majors coming into that one, he was aware from the start of what the potential consequence of that whole journey was going to be. And the energy... The energy of an opening night crowd at the U.S. Open, I think, is different than the energy at the Australian Open, because the, the New York, New York is a lot different than Melbourne, and so I think this is going to be more comfortable. Start of a new year, the chilled out qualities of the Australian summer. I think no, I, I, I'd be surprised if Novak is as, as tight in this one as he was in that one. Yeah, and it's his favorite place, as That's he said I mean. in the in the pre-match. It's yeah. Right. Um, he'll, he'll, maybe he's already paid a visit to the botanical gardens in Melbourne, which he likes to, loves to visit. It's a great, having been there a number of times, having walked it, that's a, that is uh, a neat place. If you get to yeah. us, those who go to Australia, every chance to go that that's a neat, um, place I've taken my share of walks through there too, but, um, I may, I haven't, I haven't won it 10 times. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, what more do you need? We now have an endorsement from Joel and Novak. So get to that botanical gardens. That's right. Now, now we look at the larger, uh, the larger picture of, of kind of what he has to deal with. Yeah. So Tsitsipas quarterfinals could be a rematch of last year's final. Shelton made the semis at the last hardcourt major there was. Uh, personally, I actually think it's going to be Fritz in the quarters for, for Djokovic. And all things considered, I think this is probably the most favorable quarter uh, for among the top seeds, just because I think the players that you wanted to avoid uh, were mainly um, Runa, who is in Medvedev's, Dimitrov, also in Medvedev's, Zverev, that's in Alcaraz's. And then, um, you know, I think Sinner has a very deep quarter 
where a lot of the seeds are are interesting. Whereas Djokovic, I think the lower seeds, Sarindolo, Musetti, Echeverry, tail off a little bit. Agreed. Um, you know, Fritz over Tsitsipas to me has a lot to do with what I've you know seen and heard about Tsitsipas's back um, and and how that may have marred his preparation and his off season. Um, in addition to what we saw, what we've seen in the last eleven months, and the question marks around Tsitsipas. So that's how I look at it. I mean, Djokovic Fritz quarterfinal is what I have, and you know that that's that's been a wonderful, wonderfully comfortable matchup for Djokovic. Well, they did have a five setter at the Australian a few years ago, but you're right. But Novak won that in the end. He wasn't no oblique. Novak has had yeah. Novak has had these five setters just like when he was down two sets to Love versus Sinner at Wimbledon. Why was I not concerned about him being in trouble? It's just like okay, he's just going to toothpick his way into the match and and do his thing. And uh, I'm I'm more intrigued by the um, maybe as a lefty and maybe because I I like the way he's ascending is seeing the Shelton Novak. Not that I'm thinking oh Shelton could beat him as much as how does he how does he what questions does he ask him? The thing I wrote in a preview for this tournament was who's going to ask more questions of Novak. For example, someone who plays like Novak but not, is not as good. And so Novak's going to solve that problem easily. But at least Sheldon's going to bring some other questions and we'll see where he's at with his level of execution at this stage. Shelton would have to beat Manorino. Yeah, all lefty-lefty kind of matchup. That's kind of an intriguing... Uh, that's going to be intriguing. That's a little baptism of sorts because Manorism is kind of like a, a sentry guard to elite tennis. Yep, and I, I also think Shelton's first round is dangerous. He gets Bautista Agut, who uh, usually yeah. plays very well in Australia. So um, we'll, we'll see. Also, I watched Manorino play Shelton in Miami last year, and uh, Shelton seemed quite confounded by the unique style of, of Manorino, yes. which is understandable. So, Well, a great many are, and I guess this is where we'll probably end up doing our uh, our study of the court speed, you know, is the, what yeah. the court speed is. And also just... Where Shelton is at with his, you know, Manorino is kind of, Manorino had a pretty nice little year last year. And so the question is, um, if Shelton, how Shelton continues his, his progress. That's true, yes. right? Shelton is no, is based on what you said, there's no, no guarantee that Shelton just flies his way into that 16 matchup with Novak. I thought, if I'm being honest, that for him, Djokovic had a favorable draw. Um it does get sticky if he ends up having to play Sinner in the semifinals. Um, there were just a, a couple players that I didn't want in Novak's quarter, if I'm a fan of Novak, which I am. Um, I didn't want Demonar. I didn't want Dimitrov, as you mentioned, and I didn't want Runa. So I think it worked out. Yeah. Um also, for what it's worth, the Murray third round potential, which um, I know a lot of publications, no shade to anybody, a lot of publications out there took advantage of maybe the SEO benefits of writing potential Djokovic-Murray round three, Australian <laughs> Open draw. Oh, and the that... SEO benefits. <laughs> but uh, what, what, what would Andy, Andy would need to beat, I think, Etcheverry first round, um, and you know, I, which I don't, he could do, which and then it's either Monfils and then it's either Monfils, the, the winner of the Monfils Huntman match, Huntman, who beat Fritz at Wimbledon. I think Huntman might win that match. Yeah. So, right. So Murray wins those. Remember, remember last year, he had, those, he had a couple of epics. So let, let's, let's, let's just for purposes say that 
Murray flies through both of those. Let's just have fun with it that way. And then he plays his buddy Novak. It's going to be like, seems like old times. And yet Novak's body is a different place than Andy yeah. Murray. Yeah, that's but right. But boy, I mean, I'd love to see that. It'd be so yeah. great to watch. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I have a feeling see Andy it's get, get all riled up again because you know Andy's <laughs> just going to bring the dogfight mentality to it. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, for old time's sake. I, I would project it's Monfils. Now I'm going to have a little refresher on how many how many times in a row now Djokovic has beaten Monfils. Was it um, 18 or something? What was it? Let's see. Check it out. I don't... 19. Okay, 19. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's like a, I mean, so you, you, okay. Um, okay. We're not getting a lot of um, Echeverry love here. <laughs> I think Echeverry can win that. Um, I, I, you know, it's uh, maybe a slight favorite to Murray, but I think Echeverry, Echeverry was really good last year and he's a young guy. So, you know, who knows what kind of leaps or gains that maybe he could have made in the off season. Um, I, I do think Murray likes a guy like Echeverry. It gives him a lot of like linear pace so that exactly. Murray can make the points a little funky and use the variety and throw him off his rhythm. Kind of like last year when Murray, he beat, uh, he beat Kakanakis and he also beat Berrettini. Yeah. These epics that, uh, you know, cost everyone their sleep in the States and <laughs> in, in Australia too, and just all hours. And yeah, great matches, great matches, great testimonies to Murray, uh, Murray's fighting. All right. So we'll leave the draw part of it at that. Um, something that has nothing to do with draw luck, but it, it is something I, I want to just hit on before we go, uh, is Alcaraz on the other side as the number two seed who, uh, in his press conference yesterday said, I hope I play Djokovic in the final, not just, I want to do the best I can. I'm going to take it match by match. I'm going to enjoy the process. He was like, nope, my goal is uh, I want to play Djokovic in the final. That is the plan. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts, Joel, on Alcaraz, you know, and the goals that he's put out publicly and how open he is about, about saying things like that, putting them out there? Did he say, I want to or I hope to? Let me see. I'll, I do have the exact quote, so I can check. Um, I'm looking to reach the final and hopefully playing a final against Djokovic. Well, look, he's soared so high quickly, won two majors on different surfaces by the, at, at the age of 20. Novak has become his natural rival at the top, so it's all right. I mean, I'm still, you know, I, I, but I think we're gonna we're gonna learn a lot about Alcaraz this year because now he's like fully upper division. You know, he's had some ups, he's, he's had his ups, lots of ups, lots of ups, but he's also seen some of the downs. And now we're going to see like a full-fledged year of him. And he and Novak are hopefully going to be chasing each other all around the world. And uh, I, it's interesting. And, and his whole thing with energy management, you know, it's like, I think there were some sobering moments for him last year versus Medvedev, the U.S. Open finals versus Novak in Paris. So I don't know. What are you thinking? Is it wrong of me knowing that Alcaraz's personality is just so light and boyish to think that he's possibly playing head games, trying to get into the head of Sinner um, to light a fire under him um, to beat Djokovic. So I don't that. Think so. <laughs> 
uh, because I, I, who would want to play Novak in the final of a Grand Slam? That's crazy talk. No, the guy who beat him in the Wimbledon final. Well, that's true. But um, if you want to win the Grand Slam, um, I wouldn't want to play Novak Djokovic. I would. I would. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to have a little fun with this. I, I think that's exactly who you are. You're a champion. You, you, you want, no, you want, you, you want, you want to, you want to play the guy who's won it 10 times. Absolutely. Just like he beat the guy. No, I, I want to win the tournament. So therefore I want to play the person that would give me the greatest chance of winning the tournament. I think because of Alcaraz's age, I understand why, and Djokovic's age, I understand why he would be like, I want to play Novak in an Australian Open final before he retires. And so I, I've done it. Like, I think he actually wants that experience as somebody who is a, is a tennis purist. Whereas I think like, if you asked, uh, I don't know, um, Tsitsipas or Zverev, who they would want to play in a major final. I mean, they would probably pay $10 million for it to be anybody but Novak because they're trying to get that, that one, you know? Yeah. But I just, I mean, for example, I don't know if I wanted to, if I had, a, if I wanted to win Roland Garros, I'd want to beat Nadal in the final. I'd want to, I'd hope to, but uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's like ideal world. Like, so but... this is a guy who's won it 10 times. Who's the most slam guy. And this is, you know, this is the, the level at which Alcaraz is, pitched his career at a very young age, exponentially more so than those other contenders who have yet to win one. I think Novak is different than just anyone else in the draw, though, especially in this tournament. And if I'm anyone in the field, I want somebody else to take out Novak because he's just a different animal. He's the greatest you know, that's what but like, that's what I'm trying to win a major here. Like, I don't want to have to play the greatest. <laughs> okay. I think we've, I, can't, I think we've kind of circled yeah. our courts around this. So uh, it's okay. I want to play Ali. I want to fight Ali. I want to go one-on-one -on -one with Michael Jordan. Let me have it. <laughs> okay. But here's where I, I was going with I do not want to fight Ali. <laughs> <laughs> um, where I was going with it. Like, I do think uh, Alcaraz needs to be a little bit careful. I, I think with, uh, jumping ahead and setting, you know, big lofty goals and just putting them out there just because I thought at the end of last year, it was kind of questionable, you know, to, to kind of hyper fixate on trying to finish the year number one. Um, and I think that can play against you. And what I loved so much about his mindset in the Wimbledon final, I said this many times is he said it was the greatest day of his life before playing the match. He said, Sunday is going to be the greatest day of my life. And I'm like, that is such a great process-based way of thinking. He wasn't like, if I win, then it will be the greatest. He's like, no, it's the greatest already. Yes. So I, I would like Alcaraz maybe, and we'll see how he plays and how he performs, but it is kind of on my radar. Like I'm a little bit worried that he's getting away from that process-based by already talking about, you know, the final, for example, um, where, you know, I, I think maybe it would serve him to stay in the moment a little bit. That's so you a good call. Like You'd want it to be like uh, like the Rafa approach. Oh, my first round, Richard Gasquet. He's a very good player. I don't know how I'm doing. He's very good. He's beaten a lot of people. I'm just going to see if I can hopefully compete well against him. I, I yeah, yeah, all this language again. And uh -huh. we know, we know we study all this language. And yet, what's so great is it's only forty nine percent of what really matters. You know, it's no more because it's about 
the game itself and then you play the and it's the performance it's so it's so not politics it's great that's yeah but you, you raise a great point about process versus results and you know if you're richard gasquet you're going you're talking about playing novak in the final what about me dude <laughs> you know so or anyone else in in alcaraz's quarter so I don't know. He, he he doesn't have his coach there with him, so that'll be who ha had to have knee surgery. So that makes him a little bit unsettled already. I think you make a great point that he really just needs to stay focused on the process. We'll see how he does. And uh, Djokovic, excited to see uh, the first round match against Dino Prismic and what this 18-year-old has in store for him. Um, we will be with you with coverage throughout the next two weeks, and we're looking forward to it. That'll do it for this episode of Three. We're available on all podcast platforms, and we appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple. If you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of Three.